Well, when I was still in seminary, I was invited to preach at a small African-American church one Sunday. And as I was uh, there at the church, it was uh, unair-conditioned. It was by Fair Park in Dallas, and you had a lot of call and response going on. And it was great. People were, were moving and fanning themselves and talking to me. Uh, there was one woman on the front row who was particularly vocal, and uh, she was calling out, you know, come on, tell us, and, and preach it. And if she didn't like what I was saying, she would, she would call out, help them, Jesus, help them. Uh, now, I don't have a whole lot of people here this morning to call out, help them, Jesus, uh, if you don't like what I'm talking about. But we are going to talk today about where Jesus told the story of someone who gave help in a time of need. And we find that in Luke chapter 10. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I invite you to turn there with me in your Bible as we read this passage in Luke 10, 25 through 37. It says, Jesus replied and said, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went off leaving him half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, the Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion and he came to him. And he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast. And he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Now, here in this passage, we find a story of life that was interrupted. It was interrupted in different ways for different people. For one person, it was when he was suddenly robbed and he was left helpless. For another... He was going about his, his, his business. He was on a journey, and uh, he saw a need, and he willingly stopped and set aside his own needs to help another. And then mixed in with the story, we see a couple of people who uh, were selfish. They were unwilling to do anything that required something of them personally. And I think what we see here is a pretty good summary of what's happening in society right now with this COVID-19 virus, this coronavirus. We see people whose lives have been suddenly interrupted uh, as we were going along and were blindsided by this crisis. Some are sick. Many have lost income. Just about everybody is dealing with empty store shelves. And as this is taking place, we're seeing plenty of selfish people. People who are out to take care of no one but themselves. You know, if you take a cup and you shake it, if you jostle somebody when they're carrying a cup, what's on the inside will slosh out. And what's coming out of a lot of people right now is not very pretty. But in the midst of this, there are also bright spots. There are also people we see who are not selfish but are serving. Fred Rogers, who was affectionately known as Mr. Rogers, he said in an interview before his death, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. 
Look for the helpers. You'll always find people helping. And as we're looking at this passage in Luke chapter 10, we see a helper. We see this Samaritan who is helping. And as you think about your own life right now, as you think about the crisis going on around us with this COVID-19, this coronavirus, I want you to ask yourself, are you one of the helpers or are you one of the hoarders? Are you helping or are you hoarding right now? You know, as Christians, we've invited Jesus Christ to come into our heart. We say that God lives within us. In fact, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit is resident within us. It says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Lord and the Spirit of God dwells within you? And, and as believers, when we are shaken like the rest of society, what should come out of us are things like we see in Galatians 5.22, not the selfish things of the world. In Galatians 5.22, Jesus Christ said, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As you're getting shaken, as the things inside of you are sloshing out, are these the things that people are seeing come out of your life, come out of your mouth? You know, right now, people are afraid of this coronavirus. It's spreading, uh, and, and, and people are, are afraid of this thing being so contagious. But brothers and sisters in Christ, what is contagious as well are the fruits of the Spirit. As, as believers in Jesus Christ, we should be carriers of these things. The love of Christ is what we should be spreading in this time of need, in this time of darkness. And as we demonstrate these things, it will not only help meet the daily needs of people, but it will also help those who do not yet know Christ, who who do not yet know Jesus as their Savior, to see that we have something that he offers us, peace in the midst of the storm, as we've been talking about in the past weeks. We We have something that they need more than a roll of toilet paper. What we have is the gift of eternal life to share with them, the message of hope of Christ who came. And pay the penalty of death. And he offers that gift to others. And as we're looking at this parable here in in Luke chapter 10, that's the point of this story, that we have opportunities to point people to Christ, to the hope of eternal life. Because if you look at the beginning of Luke chapter 10, what you see is the context is Jesus had sent out uh, several groups of people to do ministry. There had been a group of 70 who had gone out. And they had had great success in their ministry. And they come back and they're excited and they're sharing with Jesus uh, all that has happened. And, and what Jesus does is they're rejoicing about their successes. He points them back, as you look at Luke uh, chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, he points them back to the power that God provides. He says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Jesus tells them the reason to rejoice is that you have eternal life, that your name is recorded in heaven. Your, your name is in the book of life as a believer in Jesus Christ. And as Jesus is, is telling this larger group, we, we see that what happens in verses 23 and 24 is he turns to a smaller group. He turns to the inner circle of the disciples and he says, blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. 
For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. As Jesus is having this sidebar, there's a crowd there. And, and, and there's a man in the crowd who's looking on, and he wants in on the conversation. Uh, it, it says in verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up, and he put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This lawyer calls Jesus a teacher. Now, lawyers in Jesus' day were teachers as well. They were those who, who were over the law. They were those who interpreted the law and helped to apply it. They were religious leaders in many cases. And this, this guy, as part of the religious elite, was used to people coming to him for answers. He was used to people listening to, to him. And as he sees that he's being excluded from this conversation, he, he tries to get the spotlight back. So he stands up and he says, I have a question for you. Now, the Greek word used for question here literally means a test. This word is the one we find in Luke 4, 2, where it says Jesus was tempted by the devil. It, it carries the idea of tempting, trying, drawing one into a battle. Now, in Luke four twelve, Jesus told the devil, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And it's clear this lawyer doesn't accept Jesus as the son of God. He doesn't see him as the promised Messiah because he doesn't call him Lord. He says, teacher. And so he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus meets the lawyer on his own ground. So he says, well, let's have a discussion about the law in verse 26. And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? Now the lawyer goes, ooh, this is my day. I'm, I'm a professional. I'm a lawyer. I know the law. And so he thinks, this is my time to shine. And he answered and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. What he's doing is quoting from the Old Testament law. This is Deuteronomy 6.5. This is Leviticus 19.18. And in verse 28, Jesus says to him, you have answered correctly. And the lawyer, you can picture him smiling smugly. He's looking around at the crowd. He's reaching in, you know, to pull out his business cards and start passing them out. Uh, but before he can, you know, go any farther, Jesus drops a bomb on him. And he says, do this and you shall live. Now, friends, Jesus isn't saying you can follow the law and get to God. The Bible is very clear that none of us are capable of fulfilling the law. You can say, is it possible to swim from the coast of California to Hawaii? There's water in between, but we know it is physically, humanly impossible for anybody to swim unassisted, nonstop from California to Hawaii, just as it is impossible for any man, woman, or child to keep the law perfectly. It's why Romans 3.10 tells us there is none righteous, no, not one. It's why Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The way we are saved is not through keeping the law. Galatians 2.16 tells us, Nevertheless, knowing that man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. It says, Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. 
The only way we can be saved is by placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah, the one who came and died on a cross to pay the penalty of death we owed for our sins. That's why Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. God has given us this gift of grace And when we accept him, when we acknowledge we are a sinner and he is the savior and the payment for our sins, we're saved. Now we see that this lawyer is unwilling to acknowledge that Christ is the provision, the payment for his sins. Because what Luke 10, 29 tells us is, it says, but wishing to justify himself. He said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, what's happening is the lawyer standing there, the crowds are staring at him. And he wishes he had taken the fifth. Because what he's just said is now being turned back and used against him. And, and he's saying, well, okay, I'm going I'm to try to drag this conversation off into the you know, side and, and, and sidetrack everything so that I can have this side discussion. But Jesus doesn't let him do that. What, what he does is he, he brings it back with the parable that we just read there, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, in it, you'll recall that we saw there was a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel. This was the place where the temple was also located. Now, Jericho was located down a road called the Ascent of Adamine. It was literally named the Road of Blood. And the reason for that is there were lots of caves and and crags and it descended. It was a very steep winding road that went 3,300 feet down toward the Dead Sea. And there were robbers who would hang out in these blind corners in these caves waiting to rob people. It was a 17-mile journey that was very dangerous to make. Now, I said Jerusalem was the capital where the temple was. And Jericho, this city, was what was called one of the priestly cities. You remember that when God divided the land as he gave the inheritance to the nation of Israel, each of the tribes were given geographic areas, but the, Lev- the Levites, the Levitical priests, were not given a section alone. What they instead were given were cities within each of the allotments because God wanted the priests among the people to be an influence in teachers. And Jericho was one of the designated priestly cities. So that means that's where the Levites, that's where the priests lived. Uh, It was a a commute that would happen where they would go from their home, their priestly city, to the place of work, to the temple in Jerusalem. And as, as as Jesus is setting up the story, he says in verse 31, And by chance, a certain priest was going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, when Jesus says, by chance, this priest just happens along, people are going, well, this is a common occurrence. Remember, that's the priestly city. That's the place of work. Uh, Jesus does this to get their attention. And what he says is, uh, this, this priest is making this commute. And as, as people have read this story, they jokingly say, well, the reason the priest passed by the, the man who was beaten and bloodied and thrown in the ditch was he saw he had already been robbed, and so he could go to the other side. Now, another thing that people will tell you is the reason the priest passed by the other side is because the law said if you touched a dead body, you would defile yourself, you would be unclean. And that this priest was saying, well... I have a higher purpose where I'm to serve God in the temple, and if I'm defiled, I can't, I can't do my ministerial function. 
But I want you to notice in the passage, it says the priest was going down, down, not up. So what that tells you is, remember this road I told you descends 3,300 feet. So he was leaving Jerusalem when he sees this beaten and bloodied man. He wasn't coming from his home to go to work. He had finished his work. He had already been at the temple. He was on his way home. And and what's happening here is that this priest who's been serving in the temple, offering sacrifices that others brought, refuses to make a sacrifice of himself. He sees this man in need. And he says, you know, I've I've been serving God. Priests and Levites would go into the temple not just for a day. They would be there weeks and months at a time. Remember these far-flung cities. Some of them had to travel quite a distance to get there. So this guy has been on duty for a long time. And he says, I'm finally off. I'm going home. And the last thing he wants to do is make a sacrifice of himself. He says, this is going to cut into my own personal time. This is going to inconvenience me. I wonder how many of us struggle with something like that. We see a need and we say, well, this is going to inconvenience me. This is going to take from my time. This is going to take from my resources. And what we do is we compartmentalize our Christianity. We say, well, here are the times that I serve God and here are the times that I'm off duty. And so here we see this priest stepping aside and going around this man who is in need. Now, I said, how many of us struggle with this? And you may be thinking, well, you know, Roger, if I saw a person who was beaten and bloodied lying on the side of the road, I I would certainly stop and help that person. I want you to think about that for a moment. How many beaten and bloodied people do you see? And you say, well, I, I don't see a whole lot of them, Roger, but actually you do. But usually the wounds that people are carrying are within. The bruises are things that we don't necessarily see externally. They're they're things that have happened to people inside. Think about right now the people who are struggling. People are struggling at work. Some are losing their jobs. They no longer have work. There are students and adults who struggle with self-esteem. There are people you know right now who are wounded from abuse in their life or desertion or things that have happened. We live in a broken world where our enemy, Satan, is at work. In John 10.10, Jesus Christ says that, that Satan has come to steal and kill and destroy. And all around us are people who have been beaten and attacked and robbed by our enemy. Satan has stolen their self-respect. He's destroyed their dreams. Now, there are those who have self-inflicted wounds because of lifestyles of drug abuse or alcohol abuse or sexual addiction. These, again, are tools of the enemy in the broken and fallen world that we live in. And people sometimes are are creating their, their own wounds. And yet all around us, we see the walking wounded. And we have to ask ourselves, are we going to be like the priest? And are we going to walk around to the other side and avoid those Or instead, will we stop and say, how can I help? 
Now, you may be thinking, well, Roger, right, right now I'm, I'm sitting in my home. I'm under self-quarantine. I'm doing what I've, I've been told to do. So, so how can I help? How can I uh, reach out and help people during this time where people are afraid and losing jobs and, and various things that are happening? Well, what are you doing right now? You're watching this message online through some electronic means, whether it's your computer, your phone, or listening in. Uh, you're, you're engaging in, in a social platform. And friends, we can do the same thing. We can reach out to people through electronic means right now. As much as we would love to hold somebody's hand or give them a hug, uh, those are things that you know we've been cautioned against doing at this time, but there are still ways we can connect. There are still ways we can reach out and touch people. Pick up the phone and call somebody. Uh, use, use a, if, if you're comfortable using a video platform like Skype or Zoom or FaceTime, you pick the, the platform you want to use, but, but talk to somebody where they can see you, you know, your face and you're smiling at them and you're waving. Pick a way to reach out and touch someone. Send them a text. Send an email just to say, hey, I was thinking about you today. And I just want to see how you're doing. Check in with them. And if they respond back and say, I'm, you know, I, I'm struggling, follow up with them. If they say, well, I have a need, there's something that I need and I can't find, ask yourself, can you provide for that person? You can, and you can drop things off at the doorstep of their home. You don't have to contact the person physically. You can just call and say, hey, go out and check your front porch. I dropped something off for you. Uh, you can order something online and have it drop shipped to the person's house. There are so many ways right now that we can reach out and meet needs with somebody. Invite them to uh, join you online right now. Send this link out to your friends, your family members, others you know who, who need a connection. Send out the link of the sermon. Point them to the Wednesday night Bible studies. Help them to be able to find some way to connect online right now where they may be lonely and they get to have interaction with people. Have your students uh, FaceTime one of their friends at school who's, who's maybe lonely. Your kids are probably lonely and going crazy. And you can just let them talk Online, I've kind of loosened the rules with my own kids at home to let them have this time where they can engage with their friends online. And so find ways to encourage others to meet that need for some connection. And as you're doing so, you may be able to help them connect to Christ, to have the greatest need that they have for a Savior to be met as you point them to these online resources now, as we're looking at the passage, after the priest walks by, Jesus says, along comes the Levite. Now, Levites also served in the temple. They were the worship leaders. They were those who engaged as doorkeepers. They were the maintenance and, and providers of the, the things going on in the temple. And so these were also those who served. And as I already mentioned, the priests would go for long periods of time, and so would the Levites. Now, the way Jesus sets up the story is very unique because he has the priest traveling alone. He has the Levite traveling alone. These whole family units would rotate. And so typically they were in groups as they would go up and down these, these travels. And it was also for their safety. So they didn't end up beaten and bloodied like this man on the road. 
And I wonder if as Jesus is telling this story, he sets it up this way because he knows that we as people have a propensity, maybe to act one way when others are watching us, but to be different when we're all alone. Ask yourself if that's true of you. Are you more willing to serve when others see you? Where you can get recognition for what you're doing? Or are you those who serve the same in public or private? These were the worship leaders. These were the guys, the Levites were the ones, as you saw a moment ago, those leading us here on the platform. They had a, a public ministry. And now here when this guy is in private, we see that he too passes by on the other side. Now then along in verse 33 comes another person. It says, but a certain Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. When Jesus says, along comes this guy and he helps, that would have been enough to get people to to listen. But the fact that Jesus says he's a Samaritan would have blown their minds. This this is where everybody's listening and saying, what was this? What's the Samaritan doing in the story? Remember, we're dealing with two major Jewish cities, the capital and a priestly city. Samaritans were were people who lived to the north in the area of Samaria. They were hated half-breeds. They were were people who were of a mixed race. They were uh, during the days of the exile when Jews and Gentiles intermarried, so they were seen as traitors, outcasts. Jews would would go way around Samaria just so they would have no contact. So the fact that you've got a Samaritan deep in Jewish territory would be very unusual. And then to make him the hero of the story was mind-blowing. I mean, think of the people we've seen so far. You had the priests who were the upper echelon of society. Next were the Levites, just a little lower in the social scale. So at the very least, you would expect the common everyday Jewish person would be next. But instead, Jesus drops to the very bottom of the rung and he brings the Samaritan into the story. You know, when we hear the words good Samaritan, uh, it's synonymous with one who helps another. In our day, there's a Christian organization called Samaritan's Purse. We have the Good Samaritan Road Club that will help people when they're broken down on the side of the road. Good Samaritan hospitals can be found around the world. Uh, Whenever the news is talking about somebody who did something nice, they will talk about the hero as being a good Samaritan. But in Jesus' day, nobody put the words good and Samaritan together. And so again, this would have been mind-blowing to those who were hearing this story. The Samaritans are the outcasts, those who are meant to be avoided. But what Jesus says is, while everybody else was avoiding this man in need, the Samaritan sees it, and he steps in to meet the need. Now remember, this man has been beaten and bloodied. He's been stripped naked. He's lying in the ditch. And, and I don't want to be too graphic here, but the fact that the guy is naked tells everybody who's listening to the story that you could have very easily told the race of this person, whether he was a Jew or Gentile. Because remember, Jewish men had the sign of the covenant, sign of circumcision. But Jesus doesn't mention anything about the race of the guy laying in the ditch. 
And, and in the story, Jesus says it's not important whether he's Jewish, Gentile, white, black, Hispanic, Oriental. It doesn't matter whether he's rich or poor. He didn't have his clothing to show whether he was wearing a really nice robe because he was high society or, or rags because he was a poor laborer. Because Jesus says it doesn't matter. And it shouldn't matter to us either. When we see people, what we should see is a person created in the image of God. We shouldn't see race. We shouldn't see social status. What we should see is a person who has eternal value because they are created in the image of God. And when the Samaritan sees this man, rather than doing as the others and passing by, instead what he does is he moves closer. As you think about your own life, as you think about those people you see, as you think about those needs that you encounter, are you moved by compassion to act? Or do you move away? Are you moved by compassion to move in and meet the need? Or do you do like the others and move to the other side? Here the Samaritan moves in to meet the needs. And as he does so, it's quite costly. It's real easy for us to read this story and just kind of pass quickly over and think, oh, well, he sees the guy's wounded. He pulls out his little first aid kit, puts a couple of, uh, you know, wraps on him or Band-Aids and some ointment, and he moves on. But I want you to remember that in that day, uh, people didn't have what we do. And people didn't even have the, the amount of clothing that we do. Most people could afford only one uh, set of clothes. The robe, the tunic, whatever they were wearing was literally all they had. And so when it says that this guy begins to bandage the wounds, he's literally giving the shirt off his back. He's taking his clothing and he's tearing strips from it. He's ripping what he's wearing in order to bandage this guy. Next, it says that he takes oil and wine and he pours it on it to treat the wounds. These are the things that most people carried with them. They were the staples of life. Wine was what people drank. It's what they used in ceremonies. It was also the antiseptic. It was what they used to clean out uh, wounds and, and various things. He, he begins to pour this wine on the wounds to clean them. Next, he, he covers it with oil. Oil was what you were cooking with. Oil was what you anointed with. Oil, again, these are basic staples. These are very uh, needed things. As he's using these staples from his saddlebag, I want you to remember he's on a journey. He's got all the provisions on his donkey with him. He's a Samaritan. He's hated. They don't have stores like we do in our day. And, and somebody like a Samaritan walking in, people wouldn't want to serve him. So he had to conserve what he had. What he was using, he would then go without. And right now, I think that's the situation many of us find ourselves in, right? We hear from somebody, well, they, they maybe need some food. They need some eggs, they need some bread, they need some toilet paper. And we're looking at our stash and we're going, oh, if I give that out, I'm not going to be sure if I can have any more to use. And, and again, I ask you, are you a helper or are you a hoarder? Are you holding on to the things you have? Or are you saying to, to your neighbor or to another person, you know what? You have a need and I, I have the ability to meet it right now. Let me share some of what I have. This is the Samaritan. He's giving out the supplies that he himself personally needs. 
Next, we're told he loads the wounded man onto his donkey, which means as he's doing so, remember these robbers are, are usually hanging out in an area, and, and he's, he's a sitting duck. As he's, as he's there, as he's lifting this man, the robbers could come upon him and attack him. So he's risking his own safety. And then as they start back going down the road, what's going to happen is he has to move more slowly than he was doing before. So again, it makes him an easy target. Next, it tells us he comes to an inn and he takes care of him there. What this means is he probably stayed up all night. This guy was beaten within an inch of his life. Everybody thought he was dead. The Samaritan is up all night tending to his wounds. These, these weren't little scratches. The Greek word that is used here is trauma. We have trauma wards, which treat the most uh, desperately wounded. The, these are the highest level emergency centers. This guy is in bad, bad shape. So the Samaritan is up all night caring for this guy, changing the dressings, making sure he's okay. And then when morning comes... It says in verse 35, on the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. A denarius was, was the, the pay that a person received for a day's labor. So this Samaritan has already lost an entire day taking care of the guy. He spent the night. Now he's saying, I'm going to pay for at least two more days for this guy to stay here in the inn. And I know he's probably going to have more needs. And so what he does is he says, start a tab. And anything that you spend to care for this guy, I will cover it. It would be like you taking your credit card and running it through a swiper and signing a blank charge slip and telling the the person at the front desk of the hotel, whatever charges this person has, just put it on my account. I'll cover it. And remember, this is a Samaritan in a Jewish area. They hated them. And so this, this innkeeper who was already, innkeepers in that day were not very uh, scrupulous people. They, they lacked integrity. They were thieves. And so this guy's going, you know, hey, I get to rip this guy off to my heart's content. I get to pad the bill, have all kinds of charges that I'm going to add to this Samaritan's bill. We see the cost is going higher and higher and higher for the help that the Samaritan has given to this man who is in need. And I think, again, this may be a reason that some of us pass by the other side when we see a need. Because we say, is this going to be a bottomless pit? If I get involved, what is it going to cost me? How how much in time or money or emotional energy is this situation going to take? And so we're tempted to do as the priest and the Levite did, right? And we pass by the other side. Think about back students when you were in school and you had that classmate that you knew uh, just was was a person who had, had various needs in their life. Maybe they had a home that was falling apart. Maybe they were the one that others picked on and you knew if you helped them out that you were then going to become the target. And so when you saw the person in class or in the hall, you you kind of passed by to the other side because you wanted to avoid it. When we're at work, what about that coworker who's again one of those people with a bottomless need maybe? The person whose home life was messed up, a marriage falling apart, a person who... Uh, maybe lacked social graces, a person who uh, just had a constant need to, to have your attention. 
So again, we pass by the other side. Right now as you're in quarantine, when you get out and you're walking down the street and you see that, that neighbor that you're kind of thinking, oh, you know, they're a little bit strange already. And, and as you're kind of coming up the street, you know, they see you and they're coming out to the curb because they, they want you to talk to them. And you're thinking, oh, here's a good, good time to take the next right or left turn uh, before I get up by their house. Is that what we're doing? Are we passing by the other side? Praying that that person's not going to come up to us and dump the truck and share their need. Friends, how many of them are praying as well? That somebody might see them. Somebody might be available to a need they have. You may be the answer to that person's prayer. And we have to ask ourselves, are we going to pass by on the other side and avoid the person of the need? Are we going to be moved by compassion? Are we going to lean in? Are we going to meet that need? If you're thinking, but Roger, it's just too costly. I want you to think about the cross. I want you to think about Jesus Christ. I want you to think about God who was in heaven looking down and seeing us in the wreckage of society, looking at us in the mess we made of our own lives as we were lost in our sins. Jesus, as he looked at us, could have said, you know... It's just going to be too costly. If I leave my throne in heaven and I come to earth, I I have to deal with the limitations of this world. I have to walk through the suffering and, and the muck and the mire of society. And then ultimately, I know there's going to be a cross that I'm going to be nailed to. And I'm going to have to give my life and I'm going to suffer and die. And as God was counting the cost to come and meet our need. He didn't walk to the other side. He didn't stay where he was. Instead, what Romans 5 eight tells us, he demonstrated his own love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He said, I know the cost. And I'm going to go to the cross. And I'm going to pay that penalty of death for you. And as recipients of God's grace, his mercy, his kindness, his gift of eternal life, God is calling on us to be those who are going to show his love to others. As we're looking at this story, we see the Samaritan as the example of how we're to act. Jesus says, who was the neighbor? And and the lawyer says, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, go and do the same. Friends, we just don't have the example of the good Samaritan. We have the example of the son of God. The son of God who not only went to the cross to die for us, but while he was walking the earth with us. Remember, you can read John chapter 13. And there as Jesus was at the last supper, as he was there with his disciples. Again, they were all selfish. They were all looking at themselves. They were saying, I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to humble myself and, and wash the dirty feet of other people. But Jesus Christ got up. He went and he girded himself with a towel. He took a basin and then he went and he washed the feet of all of the disciples. And then when it was over, he said to them, you call me Lord and master and you're right for so I am. And he said, if I being the Lord and master washed your feet, you go do the same. You know, friends, right now, everybody's talking about washing our hands, you know, being cognizant of the coronavirus and making sure we're practicing good hand washing. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be foot washing as well. We need to be looking for opportunities to serve others, to step into those needs and to be those who are going to wash the feet of others. 
Jesus Christ said, which of these was a neighbor? You know, I mentioned Fred Rogers earlier. Mr. Rogers, if you ever watched his show or saw the remake that Tom Hanks did, you know, one of the taglines of Mr. Rogers was always, won't you be my neighbor? What a lot of people don't know about Fred Rogers is he was an ordained Presbyterian minister. Fred Rogers was a pastor. And it came out in all that he did and the the type of shows and, and things that he was doing. He was always saying, won't you be my neighbor? Right now, friends, people are looking for a neighbor. And Jesus said, if you want to be a neighbor, go and do the same. Love God and love others. This is what Christ is calling us to do. Jesus says, go and do the same. You know, for all of us right now in the various places we are, we have an opportunity to be a neighbor, to reach out with God's love to others. The church has never been the building. Right now, you can't gather at Stone Oak. You can't gather at our 410 campus. If you're watching online from another congregation that you're a part of, uh, that building is not the church. You are. We who are Christians, who are the body of Christ, are all throughout the world, and God calls on us to be the light in the darkness. I'm standing right now in one of our buildings. Our physical campus is still here, but this isn't the church. Now, ministry is happening from this building. Right now, we're broadcasting this sermon. All throughout the week, ministry is happening. Bible studies are being written. Things are being broadcast out. Others of our staff are working from their homes. But there is ministry happening here. One of our Ivywood houses, if you're familiar with the 410 campus, we, we host a mega site for Meals on Wheels ministry. And while we physically shut down and locked down uh, our campus, we have left that one Ivywood house available to Meals on Wheels because it's a mega site where every day 17 teams of people come into that home where the food has been brought in to be distributed to the most vulnerable in our community. We have, we have seniors all throughout the community. Over 200 people a day are being fed through Wayside Chapel's 410 campus. That, that's not just happening again physically here. This past Friday, uh, through our New Hope Connection ministry, we had teams that went out and placed, first they assembled food uh, packets together, and then they placed them on the doorsteps of apartments where we have a ministry going to the refugee community. We are reaching out and feeding people during this time through Wayside Chapel. Through your ongoing financial gifts, we're continuing our support of missionaries around the world. We're continuing our support of ministries here in town where funding is being cut by others. As you go to the sermon section of the website, you'll see that there is a follow-up question that you can get and and go through today or sometime during this week with your family. In addition to some questions that you can interact with from today's message, you'll see that I've highlighted four ministries on there that you can click onto those links and see. These are four ministries that we support here in in San Antonio uh, on a regular basis. There are many others that we support as well, but these are four. I just wanted to highlight this week for you to say, here are some opportunities for, for me to potentially engage and help. Do you know there are blessings that are happening right now because of the coronavirus. One of those blessings that's happening is there are babies whose lives are being saved because abortion clinics are closed down. 
Just here in the state of Texas, they're estimating that between 500 and 1,000 babies are being saved every single day that the shutdown continues because the abortion clinics are closed. I called Planned Parenthood on Friday. I didn't tell them I was a pastor. I didn't tell them I was checking. But I called and I asked if they were still doing abortions. And they said, we can't. We're not allowed to. I said, is there anywhere that somebody can go to to get an abortion? And they were like, oh, honey, we're sorry. We can't help you. We, we don't even know where to point you because they're shut down all over, not just the state of Texas, but the country. So think of exponentially how many lives are continuing to be saved every day because of this horrible virus that's taking place. That's just a bright spot. And two of the ministries I've highlighted for you are the Pregnancy Care, the Resource Center that's here in San Antonio, and Any Woman Can, another pro-life ministry we support here in San Antonio that reaches in during times of problem pregnancies to help these women who find themselves in an unplanned pregnancy to choose life for their children. Well, as more and more are turning to these ministries, not only is there a need right now, but there's a need for the resources and, and diapers and clothing and counseling and other things that they provide. So those are two ministries that you might consider if you have the ability to give some additional support to give to those two ministries. Another one that I've highlighted for you is SAM Ministries. I mentioned uh, SAM stands for San Antonio Metro Ministries, and they are on the front line of dealing with homelessness in our community. These, this is a ministry that comes alongside families that are about to find themselves homeless because of eviction or those who are newly homeless. And again, right now, that, that is a need that is increasing. These are partners we work with all throughout the year and I just want to highlight them for you. And another ministry is the Children's Hunger Fund. It provides for children and families who are facing food insecurity. And during this time where not only are schools and lunches and things like that harder to get for these, these families, but as store shelves are empty, uh, their need to provide food for others is increasing. I want you just to take some time today and in the week ahead to think to pray, to look for opportunities to reach out, to be the body of Christ, to wash the feet of others while we're focused on washing our hands. Will you join me, please, as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord God, as we look at this passage, we see that this injured man found grace from the place that he least expected it. And Lord God, I'm reminded that for us, as fallen sinners, we have found grace from the place that we would have least expected it. From you, the very God who we offended. From you, the very God who we turned our back on and disobeyed, and yet you left your throne in heaven to come to earth, to take our place, to die on a cross, to pay the penalty of death for our sins. And Lord God, if there's anyone here listening who has never received your Son as their Savior, I pray that today they would turn to you they would not be like this lawyer in the story trying to justify himself, but instead they would say, God, I need you. Jesus, I recognize who you are, the Son of God, the one who died to save me, and they would accept that gift of grace. You tell us in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. And I pray, God, that if there's anyone who, who has not yet done that, that today would be the day where they accept that gift of grace. 
God, we thank you that you didn't leave us lost and dying on the side of the road, but instead you left heaven to come to earth and pay the price to save us for our sins, from our sins. As those, God, who have been recipients of your great love and grace, would you help us to be those who share that love with others? Would you help us, God, to go and do the same as we've seen today? We pray this in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Wayside, thank you for joining us online for worship. We look forward to seeing you Wednesday night as you connect in community with our students, our men's, our women's studies, and then again joining us next Sunday as we continue to worship here online. God bless you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.